Hey Allie, remember when you begrudgingly stayed with your old EHR way too long because the thought of switching was overwhelming? Uh, yep, I do. I stayed with my old EHR for years, even though I really was not happy with it. That is, until Catherine convinced me to switch to Jane. Jane's import team, yep, you heard that correctly. They have an entire team dedicated to importing your clients, and they handle all of the nitty-gritty details that have been holding you back from leaving your old EHR. Imagine this, you're sitting down with your cup of coffee and just two clicks later, Jane has what they need to personally upload all of your clients so that the next time you log in, every single client, progress note, and more from your old, outdated EHR is in there. And it's just as easy for clients when you switch. They click a link, verify all of the information that's already there is correct, and that's it. The team at Jane knows that your time is valuable even after you make the switch and they import your clients for you. So they've created online intake forms to also help you spend less time on paperwork and more time with your clients and in your life. To streamline your intake process for new clients, Jane makes it easy to automatically email intake forms at the time of booking. You can gather client data, consents, insurance information, and payment details all before your clients even walk through your door or log in to your telehealth platform. Head over to jane.app and make sure to use the code BADTHERAPIST so Jane knows that we sent you when you switch and you'll get a 30-day grace period on your new account. And that's code BADTHERAPIST at jane.app to ditch your outdated EHR and join us in our love for Jane. Have you ever asked yourself, am I a bad therapist? Well, you're in the right place. I'm Allie Joy, licensed professional counselor and board-certified art therapist. And I'm Katherine Escare, a clinical psychologist, and this is Am I a Bad Therapist? Join us each week for stories from behind the closed therapy door. You'll hear experiences that made us ask, am I a bad therapist? Including bloopers, jaw droppers, and other difficult moments that normalize the unique struggles of modern-day therapists. This is a space with no experts, no gurus, and no hierarchies, just humans sitting in similar chairs. While we're certainly not promoting actual bad therapy, we are here to shine a light on the mess. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market hey it's ryan reynolds and i'm here with keith co-star of my upcoming film if only in theaters may 17th Do you want to tell people the big news all right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. See situations that therapists face on a daily basis and to normalize that mysterious gray area of clinical practice that no one wants to talk about. So Ali, we're talking to Johanna today about self-disclosure in the therapy room with our clients. Do you tend to do that? 
I do at times. I feel like it's that fine line we try to walk as therapists where we never want to make it about ourselves. But we are going to hear from Joanna, and this is how I feel similarly. Like it can be very powerful at times in the therapy room when it's appropriate. But again, it can be such a tricky topic to really know. But I think it requires a lot of self-reflection, really making sure that it's going to benefit the client. I feel like Joanna speaks so well to this topic. Yes, I loved this conversation and it really helped me reflect on the need for consultation when we self-disclose. Because I know personally, when I self-disclose, sometimes I ruminate on it after the session. Was that too much? Did I do it for myself? Did I do it for the client? And Johanna really talks through how she seeks support around self, around integrating self-disclosure into her work. So just a reminder that this is not a substitute for clinical supervision, clinical consultation, ethical guidance or therapy itself, because we do not endorse actual bad therapy here. All right. Well, this is episode number 72 of Am I a Bad Therapist? Let's get into it. Johanna, welcome to the podcast. Hi, guys. I'm so excited to be here. And we are excited to hear from you. But before we do, uh, can you share a little bit about yourself? Um, yeah. So as you said, uh, my name's Johanna and I am a licensed clinical social worker. Um, I work in a group practice in Philadelphia. Um, I actually run a group practice in Philadelphia, myself and my business partner. We have, um, seven therapists on our staff and, um, we specialize in eating disorders. Um, that's our main niche. Uh, we specialize in working with, you know, individuals, families, groups um, that are struggling and wanting to find feed freedom. So food freedom, body image freedom, um, you name it, we're, we're working in it. Freedom of all different kinds in terms of, um, you know, food and bodies and life, actually, at the end of the day. Um and uh, I'm recovered myself um, from an eating disorder that becomes really important in the story, uh, because I want to share a little bit about what that meant for me and why I do the work I do and a moment where that became really crystallized for me. Um, I'm writing a book. That's a little like uh, interjection there on body image and recovery. Yeah, it's coming out next year. I'm super excited about it. I've got a lot of work ahead of me with it, but it's going to intertwine my own personal story and um, tips and tools to help find body image freedom for others in the future. Super excited about it. And that's amazing. That's me in a nutshell. Perfect. Well, I feel like you already gave us somewhat of a transition. Tell us what made you question if you were a bad therapist, what story are you going to share? Oh, yeah. So, um, this is one that I've been pondering for a long time, actually. Like the the whole story that I'm going to share with you guys, the back journey to it is something that I've been thinking about for myself honestly, ever since I started working in um, the field and um, eating disorder recovery field, um, it's been over 15 years now. But my actual bad therapist journey um, or bad therapist story, right? My journey is longer. My bad therapist story, <laughs> like the 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 crux of it um, happened like not too long ago, only a couple of months ago. Um, and it's really where like, I feel like everything kind of like came to a head where I, I really like, I was like looking at your guys's podcast and I was thinking, Oh my word, this is my bad therapist moment. This is it. I mean, I'm in it right now. Um, so, uh, I would love to talk to you guys about it. Um, I, so as I said, I've been in the field for about 15 years. Um, and I, you know, I hadn't necessarily like when I started doing work in the field, um, 
honestly, 15 years ago, like I feel like the landscape for eating disorder recovery and for professionals in the eating disorder world um, was really different than what it is now. And I think it's better now. But in terms of self-disclosure, when I first started working, um, especially at the agency that I started working at, um, it was not encouraged to be working in the field if you had had an eating disorder. I mean, honestly, a lot of the a lot of the rhetoric or the discussion points around that were that we were we were honestly like not supposed to be working in the field. It was kind of like taboo, like keep it quiet. Um, you know, I think that's a major disservice. But, you know, when I first started working in the field, I was you know, I kind of bought into that and was like, oh, oh my gosh, I don't know that, you know, I don't know that I'm supposed to be, you know, here right now doing the work that I'm doing because of being in, because of having my own journey, journey with food issues, um, Runa, because of having recovery. Can I with a question? What was that like going through school in recovery mm. and being told you can't work with the population that you want to serve because you're in recovery? What, what narrative was that like when you were a student? Cause I can imagine that's very formidable to be told that and to have that reinforced. Yeah, uh, you know, shameful. I, I kind of felt ashamed, which is so interesting, right? Because like the work in recovery is to actually let go of a lot of shame mm-hmm. and to be, you know, to be like more authentically yourself, like in, in all the mm-hmm. different ways. And so to to have like a to have a narrative or a rhetoric being told, and again, like sometimes it's behind closed doors, sometimes it's covert, sometimes it's overt, but you know years ago to be told, you know, you're not really supposed to be doing this work right now. Or at least if you are, be kind of hush hush about the fact that you have your own, have had your own experiences. Um, yeah, shameful. Like uh, uh, that, uh, and it, that's what, you know, and part of what led to my wanting to share this was actually thinking like what kind of messages then were inadvertently being conveyed to clients, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. like if, why are we even doing mm-hmm. this work if we don't really believe that recovery is possible for people, you know, that they can come back and actually like, you know, feel fully alive. Um but that I, I digress. I, I'm going. I'm jumping ahead of myself. <laughs> I'll take myself back into my actual story where I really realize where a lot of this came to a head. Um, so that's a talk. That's a little bit of my journey, right? That's a little bit of like where I was 15 years ago, coming into the field and being really quiet and being really um, conscious of not disclosing anything, right? So as a new therapist, I was like, you don't talk about anything. You don't let them know anything about yourself. And those that's a lot of what we were trained to do, um, to be like the blank slate per se. Um, okay. So to my actual moment, that's my backstory. Here's my moment. Um, so, you know, only a couple of months ago, I've been, um, doing a lot of, uh, like work with this, um, bigger organization that, um, runs a lot of trainings and networking events for, um, professionals in the eating disorder community. So dietitians, psychiatrists, therapists, obviously as well, um, and other professionals that work in eating disorder recovery. And, you know, it's not actually uncommon for me to like overlap with people that are in my field in varying ways in that, in that organization, um, actually even like past clients, because, as I'm going to talk about, the the scope of eating disorder recovery in, in the field and the professionals has really shifted over the last 15 years since I began. So I actually do run into a fair amount of clients now, um, former clients that have like done recovery work and actually ended up recovering and coming back and doing um, and doing work in the field, which is really exciting. Um, so the story. So I'm sitting at a table um, listening to somebody give a talk on something. I don't even remember what we were listening to. And, um, somebody comes and sits down like almost directly across from me and I look at them and then I look back at the speaker and then I look back at them again on the side of my eye. I'm like, I know this person from somewhere. 
Where do I know this person from? This is all my inner dialogue. Um, and then like somewhere in the middle of the speaker talking, I realized that, um, that it's a former client, like, and actually a client that I had worked with, like, like the, during the time period that I'm referencing 15 years ago, like right when I was brand new out of grad school, working in this major agency, um, so it's like, you know, it's, I almost feel like as I've already started sharing a little bit about, you know, my own journey as a therapist, I feel like it's almost like a different me that was working at that time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the client sits across from me and I obviously can't say that the, the networking event ends, the speaker ends, and I'm looking at this client. I can't say that I know them, right? I can't actually like point out like, hey, you used to be my client, right? Um, but they approach me. And they're like, hey, do you remember me? Um, Which is just so exciting. I was like, I do. How are you? Like, what has been happening for you? Tell me about your journey. Um, And so they start to tell me about, you know, what their recovery has been. And, you know, 15 years, there's a lot of different twists and turns that they've taken, um, a lot of work that they've done. Um, And, you know, I was just so proud of them. So we were talking a lot about, you know, what work that, Um, this person and I had done while they were in like the therapy with me and then what they built off of in the rest of their lives with dietitians, family work that they had to do, um, you know, like really like a lot of intensive treatment work that they like, that they showed up for in a powerful way and that they had recovered um, and that they were now back in the field working, you know, um, and helping others recover as well. Um, And I'm sitting there and I'm listening to them talk and I'm listening to their story and in my mind, I'm going, oh, my word, their story is really similar to mine. Like, there are so many parallels to what they're telling me, like, around, like, family issues and around, like, particular, like, fears that they had about recovery and around, like, a lot of hopelessness that they felt that they could ever recover at different points. And my inner dialogue, I mean, I'm listening, you know, I'm do- but I'm doing my own inner dialogue during that time. And I'm going, I... I feel so sad that like during that, my time as a therapist with this person that I like didn't, that I didn't use myself appropriately, that I didn't like talk to them about like, you know, about the fact that I had recovered from an eating disorder, that I didn't actually disclose any of that when we were working together. You know, I was like this blank slate. Um, And so my own, my own dialogue that whole time, and this was my, I'm, am I a bad therapist moment? My whole dialogue was like, you know, um, did I do something wrong when I was working with them? Mm. You know, did I, did I, Mm. did I, did I hold myself back from actually like, you know, did I do them a disservice actually, Mm -hmm. like while we were working together? Because I, I could have, I could have actually cast like so much more of a vision for them. And again, they run on to recover. Like, it's not like I like, you know, I didn't, it wasn't Mm -hmm. all on me. I know that. But like, I just, I was sitting there listening and I was like, I feel like not disclosing any parts of myself, not disclosing any parts of my journey actually, um, you know, was, was a, de- a detriment to them at that point. And again, it wasn't all on me. I know that, but I do feel like I, you know, it's was, it was just in my mind thinking about all of that stuff while they were talking. Let's pause here for a quick ad break. By the way, the number one support for those of us asking ourselves, am I a bad therapist? Our clinical consultation groups. If you don't have one yet, join us on the Teletherapist Network for unlimited peer consultation groups, including a lot of different specialty groups like clinicians of color, LGBTQ+, couples counseling, EMDR, 
And of course, Creativity in the Clinical Room, hosted by me, Allie. Plus masterclasses, media leads, and everything else you need for an ethical, modern clinical practice. Join us at teletherapistnetwork.com. Hey, listeners, it's Catherine here, and I'm coming to you today because Allie's not the best at bragging on herself, and I want to remind you all that she has an incredible resource available for free at our website, cccs.care. Allie's Creative Intervention Library is full of easy interventions that even non-art therapist clinicians like me can use with clients of all ages. Every intervention has a list of materials, an entire process video where you watch Allie doing it, and a written description and steps so you can follow along at home. Plus, she even has a list of diagnoses that might find this creative intervention helpful. So if you want to access a totally free library of interventions for when you feel stuck with clients, check out Allie's website, cccs.care and sign up for free today. Well, let's loop back to the show. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense of like, especially because I'm sure this, like you said, took you back 15 years to the beginning of your career and thinking about the things we did. Um, I'm wondering, I'm excited to hear what happens next, but I'm also curious, have you over the 15 years, like had you explored self-disclosure more like, or was this like the, one of the biggest moments you kind of had this question or realization for yourself? Like what had you decided or what have you grown in that 15 years from that client to the bookend of seeing them not that long ago? Yeah. No, I've actually, I had done a lot of like work professionally and and personally Mm -hmm. myself. Um, you know, look again, 15 years ago thinking I have to hide these parts of Mm -hmm. like of my story, you know, when people are like, why do you want to recover or why do you want to work in eating disorders? 15 years ago, I was like, oh, I had a friend who had an eating disorder, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, but I, um, I, I did a lot of work trying to figure out exactly like how to, um, how to use my story appropriately. So I see a supervisor and she's been with me actually for 15 years. It's like really, really, really cool. Yeah. I meet with her. Like I, I meet with her every other week and we talk and she was really pivotal and sort of helping me and teaching me how to actually be, you know, to, to appropriately use my story, to be able to sort of share it with a client in a way that actually like provides encouragement, um, for them and provides, um, you know, hope for them, but obviously doesn't also take up all of their space. So, um, Mm -hmm. and then honestly, as I, as I was a little bit more open in the field, um, and talking, uh, you know, almost like, like, like letting, letting some of the shame go of that I had been told that I was supposed to feel from, you know, other professionals or from like professors at that time, as I, as I started to be more honest, all these other professionals around me, all these other people that I worked with started telling me that they had recovered and, and like dietitians had recovered and, you know, nobody was saying it until I started to, and so, and, and it wasn't just me, like they were saying it too. I think we all sort of like woke up and we were like, why are we not just talking about the fact that we've recovered? Why isn't this, you know, why isn't this more, uh, more of how we can use the space? Um, so yeah, my supervisor was pivotal, but also I think my colleagues were really pivotal and being able to sort of change the landscape of what we do with eating disorders as professionals as well. 
That is so huge, the community piece of recovery. And mm-hmm. I, I was just talking about this um, with an intern I supervise. We were going through his his transcript. He has to present a transcript of a session, right? And we were going through it. And looking back, we could look back on every therapy session with hindsight, with the 2020 hindsight, right? We look mm-hmm. back and we see all these missed opportunities, mm-hmm. um, these things that we know now that we didn't know then. And it feels mm-hmm. like that's kind of what we're doing here. We're looking back and saying the land landscape was don't disclose. And we're saying that was a huge missed opportunity in the culture of yeah. how e- eating disorders are treated. And yeah. as the culture evolves, and it sounds like your coworkers and your supervisors, everyone kind of came came around the same time and started to disclose and realize the benefit in doing so, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say so. I mean, there was like, even before I started to just be more aware of how important it is to just be open and share, right, and how your story can be used, there were other treatment centers that were like sort of built around this idea that like that you can recover. And I think that that was like an like Carolyn Costin, like she wrote a whole book about mm-hmm. her own recovery. I feel like those are big names that sort of paved the way for all like for all of us to kind of step together and to say like full recovery is possible. And why aren't we talking about that? And why aren't we talking about the fact that like it it's possible because we've experienced it. And so it's possible, if it's possible for me, your therapist sitting with you, then it's mm-hmm. possible for you. And I can't tell you how many different times that I've said that to clients like over these years and they just start crying, you know? Mm-hmm. And again, I always say not that your story is going to look like my story at all. Like it's not, we all have our own journey here, but like, I just want you to know it's possible because I've been where you are and I've been in the depths of feeling like it's not, you know? that's like what you can do. That's what you can use. That's what you can, that's what I feel like is so important yeah. to bring into the room with clients. D, drug and alcohol addictions world, they knew this for a really long time. I feel <laughs> like they were doing it. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think just the eating disorder world finally caught up to it so, so much more, you know, I think they finally shifted and yeah. changed and understood that in a way that was, that was so pivotal for clients. Yeah. And it's so special. So you found yourself, you've had this journey over 15 years, mm-hmm. so much growth, all these things, but then you're seeing this client who you did not self-disclose to, mm-hmm. but now you're noticing these parallels again. So what happened in that moment after that training, you're listening to their journey, you're thinking about yours, what happened next? Yeah. You know, I, I, I said it, I, and I said, it. I was like, I, and I actually owned, cause I think so much was like about just being able to own what I was thinking in my head in that moment. Right. So mm-hmm. I owned it with them. I was like, I feel really sad right now because I am looking back at our work together 15 years ago. And I wish I would have just been able to tell you, or I wish I would have told you, I could have told you, um, you know, that I had recovered from an eating disorder and they like looked shocked again, because we had worked together so much. We'd done so much work and they were like, what you, you had an eating disorder. And I, and I started, I was just talking with them about it. I was like, yeah, you know, I realized at the time. So again, I think the whole point here is just being open and honest, right? Mm -hmm. Telling them, I realized at the time, like I look, I look back and I think that I like, I didn't, I didn't feel like I had permission to share that. I didn't feel like I, I, I didn't feel like, um, it was okay to be sharing those things. Um, but it was a really big missed opportunity. And honestly, I apologized to my former client sitting in front of me. I was like, I feel like it was a missed opportunity for me as a therapist, but it was definitely a missed opportunity for you as a, as my client, like, you know, and, and this person was like, yeah, actually it would have been really nice to know that it would have actually been really encouraging to hear that, you know, that you had come through this and that you understood it. Um, but there was actually a lot of power in that moment. 
there was a lot of power just with me and my former client in being able to say like, it kind of just own what, um, what I, what I, uh, wasn't able to do 15 years ago in the room with mm-hmm. them. Um, and for them to be able to sort of see, you know, that even, even with, even with all of that, like that they're actually in their work now that they're doing something that's so important for their clients that they're seeing, like they, as, as a therapist that has recovered are being open and using themselves appropriately and talking about it with people and how powerful that is. So I think it was actually, you know, in my head and my, while they were talking to me and sharing their story, I was just thinking about all my missed opportunities and thinking about how sad it was that I didn't feel like I could share and use myself while we, we were working together. But I think once I was able to own that with the person that I was talking to and being able to be really honest, um, it actually created a lot more power for them actually to see that what they're doing now is really, you know, is really important. Like that their work and being out there as a recovered professional is so, is so, so pertinent and so important and so valuable to their clients. So it just produced a really good conversation for us. Um, yeah, all together. That is incredible. And I can't help but admire how your client almost became a role model, dare I say, for for people who do speak out, which is something you were striving to. So that's yeah. that is an incredible yeah. full circle right there. Yeah, I think it's really empowering, actually. You know, and I think the, I think it's really interesting. I'm going to go a little more meta on this, right? But I think it's really interesting because when I just like when I just said like you know when I just owned it all, right? Sitting with my client, mm-hmm. I could I could have actually just been like, well, it's so cool to see you. All right, we'll talk mm-hmm. later or something, and not even disclosed, even though I'm out there in so many other ways in my field, right? I'm even doing this podcast, like I. But I didn't have to. I didn't have to bring it into the space right there with my client. I could have. I could have actually chose not to disclose even what I was feeling in that moment. But I think what I've learned over the 15 plus years of practicing is that like the well-placed disclosure actually has so much power for like the person in the room with you. Right. And in that moment, I mean, this wasn't my client, this is a former client. Now they're a colleague. Right. But like, well, my, my own, in my bad therapist moment, my own well-placed disclosure actually had a lot of power for me because it like, it released my shame, right. Little Brene Brown vulnerability release the shame. Right. Like, so I was just being open and honest about my own sort of my own shortcomings. I was a new therapist. Mm -hmm. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't quite know how to use myself. Those are my shortcomings, but it also gave my my, my former client, who's now a therapist, it gave them a lot of power because it, it, it like helped them see that what they're doing is so great and so necessary and so helpful. So I think it, it was, it was a really cool full circle moment where I was able to sort of like release some of that shame and just, you know, sort of, and move forward. But then that gave them so much, you know, so, so much more empowerment to, to see how, what they're doing and as being a recovered professional is like so important and of so much value too. So yeah, I think the disclosure right there, even, and again, it's not a, it's not a client and therapist anymore. It's a, it's two professionals talking, but I think even that, Mm -hmm. that disclosure actually was really helpful in moving like both parties involved forward. Yeah. And I feel like this is such a great example because we do talk about it here on the podcast, in school, with colleagues about how self-disclosure can be tricky because we never want to make it about us. But this is such a wonderful illustration of, like you said, how much power it can bring for the client or, again, for another individual in whatever setting that is in. And even though it can feel tricky, we can feel unsure sometimes about, like, should I say something? Should I not? Like, 
And this is like a really like solid concrete example of like just how successful it was and that it can be successful. Yeah. So I feel like for students, even myself, like it really can feel like, oh my gosh, is it ever appropriate? Or then you do have some providers who still say, absolutely not. Yeah. There is no self-disclosure, all of these things. And it really can be so hard to navigate and understand, yeah. but it is possible. And it's just such a great reminder. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, 100%. And I think like, well, I, I honestly, I plug for supervision. I think that's why actually like having like a supervisor and she's been in the field forever. And so I just respect her so much. I think that's actually why part of my journey in figuring out how to appropriately use my story um, and how to appropriately like disclose actually like, why it's actually been good good all around is because I've had a supervisor who's helped me walk that really carefully and make sure that like, you know, when you're sharing things that it's not about you, you know, that it's not about like, oh, well, like, let me tell you my story and let me take up half your therapy session talking about it. You know, like anytime I'm sharing any parts, it's actually like, it's, it's actually checking, I'm checking myself to make sure it's for the client's benefit or to make sure that it's actually about what's going to be helpful. But I, yeah. And again, just to almost like continue to reiterate, like, I think what I, what I realized is early on in my career, like hiding parts of my story or hiding the fact that I was even recovered was, was, had nothing to do with my clients. And in fact, it was like, it, if mm-hmm. I was asking myself those questions about disclosure when when you're about to disclose it, you know, when you're asking like, is this for the client's benefit? If I had asked that question of myself when I wasn't disclosing, my answer would be, no, this is not for the client's benefit at all. This is because I, I'm listening to bad messaging from around me or because I'm, you know, because I'm, I'm, I'm like actually ashamed. And then that's actually a huge disservice to my clients. Because mm-hmm. what I'm asking them to do is be vulnerable and honest and telling them that having an eating disorder isn't shameful. It's not. But if I'm hiding, if I'm not saying things, then I then what messages is actually are actually being conveyed to my client? I you know, what even if I say it's not shameful, if I if I have parts of me that are hiding it, then I am like, you know, passively conveying. How could, that not, through? How could, How could that, that not come, come through? through? How could yeah. that not come through? Johanna, how did using self-disclosure more in your work, in your therapeutic work with clients, how did that change your relationship with your work? Did it? Yeah. I mean, I think um, I think it actually gave me a lot more passion and excitement for my work. Um, I think it I think it made my work come much more alive for me. Um, I think it made my work like become, um, you know, so much more of like something that I'm in passion to do, um, versus I think when I was, when I was, you know, feeling like I had to be much more reserved or like pull back, I think I, I think I was, um, you know, I was so much more timid. I wasn't certain of how to, you know, how to actually help as much. Um, but when I, when I figured out how to, you know, like how to bring parts of my story into it, um, and how to just be more authentic about myself and my journey, it actually just, it just brought more life back into my, into my work with, with clients, I think. And I think that that rings out, like that comes out in therapy sessions, you know, like to just get, to kind of get like excited for people or to be much more, you know, or, or to be much more emotionally connected. And Mm -hmm. maybe that's the second thing. Like I'm, I'm much more emotionally connected to my clients now because when they're telling me that, you know, they had a really bad day with their eating disorder symptoms, like I can sit there with them and I can go back and I can remember it. Even if I don't share it, I can, it's like, I just can remember being in that emotional space because I'm opening myself up to that even more rather than trying to like verbally block out those memories, but also like emotionally kind of block them out. So yeah, I feel much more connected to my work and I feel much more excited and impassioned about my work. 
Amazing. And so if a clinician was listening or even we've lost student listeners, what advice would you give them if they are kind of thinking about self-disclosure, how to do that work, if they are working with eating disorders in general, what would you say? Yeah. Well, okay. So here's my little like disclaimer, right? Um, And I actually have a lot of clients and um, a lot of staff that we hire that have recovered from an eating disorder. So um, I think it's, I think, I think that that comes with like a lot of actual like depth and quality and value to be working in the field. Mm -hmm. Um, I do think that you have to have recovered or have been symptom free um, for a certain amount of time before you head into like this work, right? Because, you know, it can it can be um if you're not ready and prepared to work in eating disorders you're not if you're not ready or prepared to work in you know in in a more intense field and you still have some of your own stuff hanging out um i would i wouldn't advise about jumping in too quickly right um but um, I think that um, if you are like working on your eating disorder recovery or you have recovered or, you know, any other actually like any other mental health issues, I think that like there's a lot of value in um, appropriately bringing those into the space, you know, once you've actually been able to do your own work on them and come to a place of feeling like it's contained or that you've actually been able to, um, you know. To, to work through them in your own way. Um, my, my next big piece of advice is to make sure that you have like a supervisor or a trusted like person that um, you're letting into your work and sharing, you know, what you're sharing, what you're sharing with them. Um, so that person can kind of continue to guide you appropriately. You know, Catherine, it's kind of like what you were saying with your intern, where it's like you, somebody can like look at it and not in a critical or judgmental way, but kind of pull it out and say like, Hey, you know, why did you say that? And where, where did this come from? And how were you using yourself here? I think always being able to have a second set of eyes that you trust um, is really healthy and helpful for um, self-disclosure in the field. Um, So yeah, those are my two best pieces of advice. Johanna, I couldn't agree more. It's that second, it's the peer consultation that keeps us, it's Mm -hmm. a mirror, the mirror, the peer consultation is the mirror that we can see ourselves in. Otherwise we don't have anyone holding up the mirror to us. So I couldn't agree more. Yeah, absolutely. So before we sign off, and we cannot thank you enough for sharing your story with us today, especially the pieces about self-disclosure and how it changed, how you relate to your work and the energy, I think that's so needed, especially in this time where so many of us are severely burnt out, um, that we need these glimmers. We need these opportunities to get re re passion towards our work. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And invigorated. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So Johanna, thank you so much. And if people want to connect with you outside of the podcast, where can they find you? Yeah. Um, well, probably the best way to find me is on my Instagram. So that's johannaculp.lcsw. Um, and I am very active on there and posting reels and taking questions, et cetera. So definitely any follow-up questions or any thoughts, people can reach me there. Amazing. Well, thank you again so much for sharing this story. It was such a much needed story to talk about. You're so very welcome. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me. And that's it. The OG Bad Therapists, Allie and Catherine, are signing off for this week. Make sure to subscribe and leave us a review. We love the Bad Therapist community so much and want to continue normalizing real therapist experience. You can help us by leaving a five-star review or sharing this episode with a friend or colleague. Are you a bad therapist and want to be on the show? Go to abadtherapist.com and tell us your story. Our podcast is produced and edited by my amazing husband, Austin Joy. He also created the music for our intro and outro. 
You can find this song, along with many others, on any music platform under the artist Air for Effect. And if you're a bad therapist starting your own podcast, contact Austin for his full suite of podcast and sound production services. You can find him on Instagram at Air for Effect. And if you've experienced an actual bad therapist, contact your state health department or head over to stopbadtherapy.com for more information. And if you've liked this episode, we've got plenty more. Yeah, over 50 therapist stories ready for you to binge if you can't wait for our newest episode next Monday. 